the book of 1 John, chapter 2, starting with verse 18, and we are going to read through verse 25. I'll take that back. We're going to read all the way through verse 27, starting in verse 18 of 1 John, chapter 2. I'm reading from the ESV, and it reads this. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be complained that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to you, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us as we get into this text this morning, that we might know that we are in Christ, that we might know that we are in him through the fact that we believe in him, that we have this faith. Help us this morning, God, increase our faith. Help those of us who struggle with faith, the person in the room who's doubting, maybe the person in the room who just outright doesn't believe God. Give us faith this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So imagine uh, with me that you're on a road trip down I-95. My uh, wife's parents used to live in Florida, and so we were pretty familiar with 95 from here straight up the coast, all the way down to uh, Lake Worth, uh, Florida. And uh, you're driving with me down the road, and those of you who have gone on road trips with me, you know that uh, I have to listen to radio stations that match the terrain that we're in. Uh, So if we're driving in Appalachia, I've got to find some bluegrass. I normally don't listen to bluegrass, but if I'm driving through West Virginia, I've got to find some bluegrass. Um, Or we're driving down 95 and, you know, getting to South Carolina start seeing the barbecue signs. I've got to just find some twang. Like, I don't like twang. I don't listen to country music. But when I'm driving through South Carolina, I have to roll down the windows and listen to country music. And so my wife can testify to this truth. Driving down the road, 95, station, let's say it's 92.3, and uh, comes on, and it is uh, uh, some real South Carolina twang. And it's coming through the radio clearly. But then as we drive 15, 20 miles, it starts to get fuzzy, doesn't it? 
And pretty soon, the, the music is gone, and now we're listening to NPR. Like, we, we completely picked up another tower. How did that happen, right? Well, what, what, what's going on there is, is when we are driving near a certain radio tower, we pick up the signal that that tower is putting out. We can, and, and the closer we are to the tower, the clearer we hear the signal, the, the message that that tower is putting out. But the further we get away from that tower, it starts to get fuzzy. And eventually we get so far that we begin to pick up a signal from, from another tower. Now, if I could turn this a little bit into our message today, the same applies to our relationship with God. When we are near the strong tower of God, we are hearing and understanding His Word as delivered to us through the apostles in the Scriptures. But the further we get from God, from the tower, the more, we, we, the more static we get, the fuzzier that message becomes. And it's possible to drift so far from God that we begin picking up hearing, receiving, and understanding and believing messages that are coming from a, a, an entirely different tower. If I could sort of dip this into the gospel a little bit, the tower, the signal that the strong tower of God is sending out is the same signal, it's the same message, it's the same song, it's the same word that has been declared for thousands of years. The song doesn't change. Why is it that we begin to believe some other stuff? It's because we have shifted away from the strong tower. Are you hearing and receiving the word that God has communicated to us? Or are you getting messages from some other towers? Let me ask this question another way. When you're hearing the music from a radio station, does hearing the station bring the tower to you? Or does hearing the station give you evidence of the fact that you are near the tower? Which is it? Tuning in, listening to it, doesn't bring any tower toward you. Tuning in gives you evidence of the fact that you are near the tower. This is Paul's, John's, I'm sorry, message for us today that if we are hearing, receiving, and believing the same message about Christ that has been taught and believed for thousands of years, if we are believing that, that is evidence that we are actually in the strong tower of Jesus Christ. We're, we're in this letter that John wrote 2,000 years ago to a church. And just to kind of give you a quick recap as to where we're at, in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, G John tells us that, that uh, Jesus is the safe place for sinners. That He is the propitiation. That if you are a sinner and you are in Christ, you're safe. 
And then John is going on and he's giving us a number of different tests that we might know that we are in him. So the first test was in John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and it was the test of obedience. Do you obey him? That's a sign that you're in him. The second test was the test of love, verses 7 through 17. Do you love each other? Do you love the brothers and sisters? Do you love God? Do you, do you not love the world? This was a test that, to know that we are in him. And now we, today we get to the third test, and I want to talk to you on this topic. Test number three, doctrine. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? And what you believe about Jesus Christ is actually evidence one way or the other that you are either in him or not in him, and we ought to turn to him. Now, since we live in a world that is constantly drifting, we live in a world with all kinds of towers, sending out all sorts of messages and signals. Here's the question that I want to ask is this, is, is, is how in this world that we live in do we remain in this truth? You guys tracking with me so far? Meaning like we know we're in him if we're believing the right truths about him. But given the situation, given the world that we live in, how do we remain believing these things? Because I'm telling you, it's almost as if the odds are against us. Sometimes it feels, if we're honest, it feels as if there's more discouragement in believing the right doctrines of Jesus Christ than there is encouragement in this world. We look at verse 24, it says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son, which means we've got to remain in this stuff. How, friends, are we going to remain in this truth, in this drifting world? Well, that's the question that John is addressing in this letter to his beloved saints. And he gives them a couple different ways, a couple different truths, a couple different things to know uh, about these truths, uh, about these doctrines, about uh, these, these messages that they've been receiving. The first one is this. I'm going to summarize these, this, this into two different statements. First, don't let the clash confuse you. Don't let the clash confuse you. And secondly, don't let their corruption conquer you. Now, why do I put it that way? It's because they are dealing with false teachers that are in their midst. The early church is constantly confronted with people who have come along with slick new messages about Jesus and about the world and about humanity. And they're coming along with false teachings and false messages and they've also then left the church. They've disagreed with the elders and they've gone on somewhere else. And the saints who are left behind are confused and conflicted. And they're often wondering, are we, are we in the wrong place? Are we the ones that are not safe? Maybe the ones who left are the ones who are right. And so John is writing to assure the Christians, and he first says, and I'm summarizing, don't let the clash confuse you. Let me break that down a little bit. Imagine with me for a moment. All right, you're living in the first century. 
and you get on Instagram. That was a joke. <laughs> Let me fix this while you guys uh, wake up there a little bit. All right. <laughs> and, and you see, on Instagram, you're, you're looking at the, the very people who have left your church. They're people who had this sort of slick new vibe. They, 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 they had some new thoughts about who Jesus is. They picked it up from somewhere else, and they started talking to other people in the church and sitting down and saying, hey, you know what you always thought about Jesus? That's not actually true. There's some other stuff here that they haven't told you. And, and, and they're, they're revealing these secrets that have been hidden. And it's exciting, and it's fresh, and it's new. Now, they disagree with the church, the church's position on Jesus, and so they've left. Some of your closest friends, they're gone. Some of the brightest in the church, they're, they're gone. And so these Christians are discouraged. And they're looking at their Instagram, and, and they're here on Sunday morning, and on, on, on their Instagram, they see that these people are uh, sip, sipping cocktails on the beach. And they've left their spouse. And it looks like they're in a happy new relationship, smiling and laughing. Maybe we're the fools. Look, they look happy. What do we make of this clash that has happened? As people have left, John is saying. He's saying don't let the clash confuse you. And this is how, it's interesting to me how John addresses this. Look what he does in verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. Now, a lot of Christians today like to talk about how it's the end times. We're in the end times. True? Well, yeah, technically true. We've been in the last hour for 2,000 years. We've been in the end times, according to the Scriptures, for 2,000 years. All right? It's the last hour. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's the last period of redemptive history. So the apostles believed and taught that with the coming of Jesus, a new age had dawned. And they, they taught that this age, not only has it dawned, but it's also temporal. And we are living then in this intermediate period between the two comings of Jesus. His first coming, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. And his second coming, where he will come back in the future to judge the world and to set up the promised land, his kingdom, on this earth for all of eternity. And they believe that we are living in this intermediate period. The first coming has happened. The second coming has not yet happened. And so for that reason, children, he says, we are in the last hour. We're in the last phase of God's redemptive plan. And as a sign, he says, that we are in this last hour, he says that there are antichrists who are among you. He's appealing back to Old Testament theology. Again, antichrist. Like, has there been any more discussion and, and, and sort of like oh, wondering about who the antichrist is? Hitler? was once the Antichrist, Mussolini, maybe he's the Antichrist, Bin Laden. Some people said Barack Obama's the Antichrist. Now other people say Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Well, uh, we don't have time to get into a discussion on eschatology here, but just very briefly, Daniel chapter 11 talks about sort of this 
coming uh, 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 abomination of desolation, this coming day when the Lord will return and, and come and, 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 and there will be judgment. And that was partially, I believe, fulfilled in A.D. 70 with the fall of Jerusalem. But according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there seems to still be a, 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 an, another uh, greater fulfillment of that abomination of desolation, which is, I believe, the end time when Jesus does return and he comes and there is the final conquering of the world. And just before that happens, first, uh, Second Thessalonians says that there will be this man of lawlessness who appears, who people connect then with John's Antichrist. There's a possible connection there. But what John is saying is, is you've heard it said that there is an Antichrist coming, uh, this man of lawlessness who will appear just before the second coming of Christ. But what John is saying is, is I'm telling you, there are Antichrists already in the world. We're all trying to guess who the future Antichrist is. He's saying you're being duped by current Antichrists. There are all kinds of Antichrists. That's what he says right here. Many have already come. And therefore, we know that it's the last hour. This is a sign for us that we are in this end, uh, this last phase of God's redemptive plan. Who is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is anyone who comes with, as a child of light, as a prophet of light. Anybody who comes with sort of this message of hope, new leadership, new teaching that conflicts with what the Bible says about Jesus. That basically sets up a way toward life that doesn't include the Christ of Scripture. That is the Antichrist. Every cult that has come out of the so-called church, every false teacher, every preacher and pulpit that is leading congregations uh, to hell, Every sect, every group that lifts themselves up over another, there are already antichrists among you, he says. He's calling those who have left antichrists. Then he goes on, look at verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There's a couple things worth noting here first. You see that these who went out, these antichrists, didn't lose their salvation, but they never were saved. He says it makes it clear right there. He says, if they were of us, they would have continued with us. Meaning they were duping you all along. But they were godly brothers and sisters. They seem to agree with He's, if they were of us, he says, they would have continued with us. But they went out. Which then on the flip side, what he's saying is, is, is because you're still here, friends, that should be an encouragement. That you are of us. Because you didn't go out. You see the assurance that he's giving the, this weak, struggling, discouraged congregation? Second thing we're noting here is that there is a greater one who was at work in their departure. Oh, we thought it was a problem. We thought, we thought that God was losing when these bright individuals left the church. 
But what John is saying is, is that there was a greater one at work behind their departure. He says that there was, uh, he, he says they went out so that it might become clear that they were not of you. So who, who is the primary reason that these people left the church? Somebody, come on, help me. The, the opposite. Satan is at work. Satan is a secondary work. Satan is at work in their hearts. That is a true answer. But there is even this greater work than Satan, or this greater one at work than Satan, as to why they left. And that is God himself. Meaning God removed these individuals from the church so that it might become clear, he says, to you that they were frauds. That's interesting, isn't it? Twist your mind a little bit. What's he saying? He's saying this. When somebody leaves the church because they disagree with our position on Jesus Christ, we should not be discouraged. When someone leaves the church because of our position on, uh, on Jesus Christ, we should not be freaking out, wondering if they've found something that we don't know. Wondering if they're somehow enlightened in ways that we are not. That's what John wants us to, wants the church to know, is that you don't need to freak out when people leave because of your position on church. But as a matter of fact, there's a grace to that. A strange grace. Friends, a church that is mixed with truth and heresy is confusing to the world. A church that is mixed with genuine Christianity and then some kind of uh, uh, cultic form of Christianity is confusing. And so when God then removes those frauds from the church, it actually creates this purifying factor in which the church becomes a greater uh, picture of salt and light in the world in, in, in which we live. But the reality is this. For those of us who are clinging to Orthodox Christianity, for those of us who are clinging to the truths of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Scripture, one thing you have to know is that Orthodoxy can be very lonely. Like once you've fired off the exclusivity of Christ, once you've sort of put on display the, the, the authority of the Scriptures in your life, the divinity of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of His Word, you find yourself in a, in a fairly lonely place, even among those who profess Christianity. This is why, church, we need each other, family. We've got to walk with each other. I don't know how anybody can say that I cling to the truths of Scripture, I cling to the truths of who Jesus is, and I do it on my own, apart from the family. And I'm doing well, I'm doing fine. Bull. <laughs> Impossible. You need each other. This is life. This is encouragement. This is strength. This is why God has an ecclesia, a gathering of saints, brothers and sisters to come together, to look at each other in the eye and to say that you are not weird in what you believe, but you are living in reality. You are more normal than anybody realizes. 
What you believe, friends, is the greatest reality. And God has been so kind to open your eyes. And John wants you to, know, to be assured that you are in him because you believe these things. Secondly, so first, don't let their clash con con confuse you. But secondly, don't let their corruption conquer you. Because there are messages, there are false teachers, there are people who are whispering things in your ear. Don't let their corruption conquer your faith. There are some people who uh, today say doctrine doesn't matter. Or absolute truths uh, are impossible to know. Yet, when I was leaving a parking garage this last week at the, over at the hospital, and as I pull up and, and, and hand him my ticket to pay my parking, and he looks at me and he says, I think I'm going to go ahead and charge you $25. Uh, my response would be, I don't want you to think about what you're going to charge me. I want you to charge me what I owe. All right, we'll call it 15 Whoa! Give me the ticket back. I'm going to go to this guy over here, right? Like there's times where we want absolute truth. Where there's times where absolute truth actually matters. Like if you owe me some money, but you forget how much you owe me, and you come to me and say, hey, Joel, I know I owe you some money. How much was it? And I say, I'm feeling it was $100. You're feeling? It was $100. I want you to know what I owe you. My, my son was born, like I said, last Saturday, a week ago Saturday. And one day, that's right, one day um, he's, when, he, when he asks, hey, when was I born? And I say, you know, today I kind of feel like you were born in January of 2013. I don't know. I don't care how you feel about when I was born. I want to know when I was born and what time I was born. My wife, she's, she's the most confusing of all as it comes to birthdays. She's got two. She's got a day supposedly that she was born, May 30th, I think, and then there's another day where the, where the state has a record of her being born uh, on her birth certificate, and that says May 31st. And I always get confused as to which is which. So I just celebrate both, right? But my wife wants me to know the truth about when I was born. And that's very important to her. It doesn't matter what the state says. What matters is the truth. Give me the truth. I want the truth. I was waiting for somebody. Thank you. Yeah, truth, truth. Yeah, doctrine doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter until you want it to. Why do we say doctrine doesn't matter? It's because we don't like those doctrines. We don't like those truths. And so we minimize truth. But for John, truth matters. Particularly the truth about who Jesus is. And so he clarifies the heresy so that they would not let their corruption conquer their faith. So this, this heresy that they're dealing with here in verses 22 and 23, 
is this ancient heresy that kind of arose during this time period, which said that Jesus Christ, or I'm sorry, Jesus was born as just a man. He wasn't born God. He wasn't born as the divine God-man. But he was born as just a man. And at his baptism, the Spirit of Christ came upon him. And then he operated under that Spirit for a couple years. And then when he went to the cross, the Spirit of Christ left him. Which is why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? According to this heresy. So they have presented these new, fresh, exciting ideas, and they've even got some biblical proof. And you're listening to it, and you're like, ooh, that's good. I never saw it that way. And by the way, because of the way they twist this and the way they kind of turn these doctrines, it actually allows them to live licentious lives. Ooh, I've never seen it that way. That sounds exciting. That sounds fresh. And so John is coming along and he's saying, you need to know the truth about who Jesus is because these are not just new, exciting, fresh ideas. These are damning ideas. And they need to be exposed. And so he exposes them here in verses 22 and verse 23. He says, who is the liar, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Nobody denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son does have the Father. You see what he's saying? He's saying Christ is the representation of God. If you're not a Christian here, I want you to know that we believe that Jesus Christ is the very image of God because Jesus Christ is eternally God eternally existed as God. And then with His birth, through His ascension, and for all of eternity, became flesh, and now is the God-man. 100% human and 100% God. Which means this, Jesus Christ became flesh. God became flesh. Why? To die for your sins, to live the life that you should have lived, and to die the death that you should have died, and to rise for your hope, that all who turn from their sin and trust in him might know that they are forgiven of their sins and have life. What John is saying is, is if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you deny God. But if you confess he's the Christ, then you're confessing God. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Come on, help me out. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Who is Jesus? What is the truth about Jesus? The way we answer that question determines your eternal state. Meaning this, if Jesus is not God and we say he is, then we actually are denying God, meaning we're putting all of our eggs into the Jesus basket. We're trusting entirely in him. But if Jesus is God and we deny him as God, then we are in fact denying God. That's John's logic. And what he's saying is is that these antichrists or these liars, they are the ones who have denied Christ. Therefore, they have denied the Father. Know what they believe. He's exposing their heresy so that their corruption might not 
conquer us. There is no word of encouragement for the agnostic who left the church. There is no word of encouragement here for the atheist who has left the gospel. Friends, listen, there is a lot of diversity of belief among Christians with secondary doctrines. Meaning like modes of baptism, church leadership structures, spiritual gifts. Like within the church, you're going to find a lot of different denominations, a different a lot of diversity with all of these secondary doctrines, which is what creates a lot of different denominations, and that's fine. But let me say this. There is no diversity of opinion among Christians when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. We are united. Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Baptists, non-denominational folks who are really Baptists, but they just won't tell you, Right? We are united. We're united in our faith. It's because we're united in Christ. And there is no diversity there. Yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He is the God-man who lived my, the life that I should have lived and died in my place. And He is my King forever and ever. Every genuine Christian in every denomination will agree with that statement. Amen? And that's what John is saying. We cling to this united faith in Jesus Christ. In closing, John then gives the church both a call and a comfort. Here's the call that he gives them. In verse 24, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you. These truths about Jesus don't ever leave them. Charles Spurgeon once said that the secret to his ministry was that he was a tree planted in the same soil for his entire life. You see, a lot of, a lot of people are like trees who constantly get uprooted from one soil to another. Why is it that so many people for about 10 years were into like reformed theology? It's because that was like popular soil to get into in the time, but now it's not so popular, and so we're going to get up out of that soil and walk to some other soil. Why is it that so many people get into different fads of religion? So many people get into different ideas of who Jesus is and different approaches and different looks at the scriptures and emerging this and the Bible's that. Why is it we're constantly shifting from one soil to another? A tree that is constantly picked up out of the ground and, and moved to, to new soil is a tree that will always suffer. It's a tree that will eventually die, and it's a tree that will not produce fruit. But friends, I'm telling you this. If you remain by and in the strong tower of Jesus Christ, and you are planted deeply right there for your entire life, you remain in these truths, you will bear fruit. You will be exceedingly fruitful in your life. And you won't be like these old folks who get bitter but you will be like one of these old saints who becomes beautiful toward the end of their life. Stay in the soil of Jesus Christ. Stay in the soil of the gospel. Remain here. Remain in this. Don't leave. 
That's the call. And there's a reward attached to it. And if there's a reward, that means there's also a, a, a warning on the flip side. The warning would be this. If you don't remain here, there is no eternal life for you. And that warning is the very means that keeps genuine Christians in the soil of Jesus Christ. But here's the reward. If you do remain here in Jesus Christ, you will receive eternal life. And let's not get it backwards. Nowhere does the Scripture say that keeping yourself in truth is how you earn eternal life. But rather, it's saying that those who are in the truth and remain in the truth are those who do inherit eternal life. Meaning, remaining in these truths is just simply a mark of being a genuine Christian. That's the call that we receive. Then he gives us a comfort. Here's the comfort. He says, the Holy Spirit will remain in you. Let me read these verses to you. He says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anybody teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, there's a lot of confusing stuff in those two verses, and I only have about two minutes left. So let me try to address this quickly. What is the anointing that he's referring to here? When I used to uh, work uh, for this dude named Ray, he used to always ask me, Joel, are you a Christian? And I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Then he would say, but are you an anointed Christian? And I remember thinking, like, there's only one kind of Christian, anointed Christians. So I would say, yes. What is the anointing here? Exactly. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. It's the same anointing that Jesus received at his baptism in which the Holy Spirit anointed him. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit anoints us, but in a different way, in a greater way. Because for Jesus, he was not dead. He was not spiritually dead. He always had eyes and a heart of faith. But for us, our anointing is entirely different. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and uh, baptizes us with fire and gives us new eyes so that we might see clearly who Jesus is. He gives us a new heart so that we might have new affections for Christ, and he begins renewing our minds. That is the anointing that he's referring to. The Spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He points us to Christ. As one author said, the Spirit loves to play the background. And to point us to Jesus Christ and lift him up in the center. That is the anointing. But then he goes on and he says, and so then because of that, you have no need that anybody teach you. Well, what are we doing right now? That's weird. Is he saying that Christians don't need to be taught? Is he saying that there's no role for teaching and preaching in the life of the church? Well, that doesn't make sense because he's actually writing a book teaching people. Stuff. A lot of stuff, complex stuff. And the scriptures also say that God gives the church teachers and preachers to edify the saints. 
What's he saying? From me as a preacher of the gospel, I would say this. I believe that his, his meaning is apparent. Which, well, let, me, let me illustrate it for you. If I was sitting down with two of you right now, sharing the gospel with two of you, and, and one of you gets it and the other one doesn't, what just happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit taught one and just did not teach the other. See, there's a sense in which as a teacher and preacher of the gospel, there's a sense in which I know that I can't teach your soul. There are going to be some people in this room that walk out of here convicted, encouraged, refreshed because the Holy Spirit taught your soul this morning and others who have heard the same words and walk out remaining unchanged. Is the Holy Spirit teaching you? What John is saying is, is that you have no, no need for anybody to teach you something new about Jesus. You know who Christ is. The Spirit testifies who Christ is. Like when you heard it, you were taught it. Not by the preacher. Nobody gives the preacher credit for their conversion. But we say the Holy Spirit turned the lights on. And he used those words to teach me the truths about who Jesus is. Which means this, friends. The reason that you believe what you believe about Jesus is because the Holy Spirit has taught you. And that means you're in him. You can't be taught the truth if you're not in the strong tower of Jesus Christ. It's assurance that you are saved. As we close, if I could borrow from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same. When, saints? Yesterday, today, and forever. Christian doctrine matters because Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. What's true, what the Bible says matters because Jesus Christ is the same. Slick teachers are going to come with new, fresh ideas, but Jesus Christ is the same. People are going to leave the church at times because they disagree with the position on who Jesus is, but friends, Jesus Christ is the same. Can somebody please say amen or a hallelujah? People change. But Jesus remains the same. I change. I was once a child, and then I became a teenager, and then I became a 20-year-old preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, early, early 20s, and I'm preaching the same Jesus today as I was then because while I've changed and I've got like some recession going on and a couple grays, Jesus remains the same. Preachers change. But the message remains the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, which means what they believed then still is the same today. 
which means that what the, what the Bible teaches, what these apostles taught, it matters to us because Jesus is the same yesterday. Which means that as we read the Apostles' Creed earlier today, and as we see what genuine Bible-believing Christians believed over the last two millennia, that stuff matters because Jesus is the same. We got cars now. We have the internet, and we have Instagram. But Jesus is the same. Yesterday and today, which means believing this stuff right now matters. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait to turn from your sin until tomorrow. Believe in Jesus, who is the same yesterday. Believe in him today. And he is the same forever, which means, family, that we must remain in him forever. Never let anyone sway you. Never let any other tower sending out some other message capture your imagination and your excitement and your intellect and your attention. But remain in the soil of Jesus Christ. Remain in that strong tower. Abide in him. And we will receive eternal life. He is the same. Believing what we believe about Jesus is evidence that we are in the safe place for sinners, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear on the main stuff. It is clear on the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, we as Christians disagree about some things. We as Christians have some different, different opinions about secondary doctrines. But God, I thank you for the fact that we as Christians and as the universal church, we are united on this truth of who Jesus is. And I pray that we will be encouraged as your body in the fact that we believe these things that you will strengthen our faith and our assurance of our own salvation as we go from this place, knowing that we are in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.